I would say for the first time in a while, I don't regret doing this podcast. <laughs> Everybody, we're sorkin' it in. Watching the newsroom, please take just a minute. It's a podcast. Aaron Sorkin might choose about Will and Mackenzie making the news. You're sorkin' in it. Boy, oh boy, it is so exciting that we get to do Sorkin in it with my pal, Lex Friedman. And, uh, of course, it's a joy for me as well, because I'm here with my pal, Brian Warren. Oh, who would have thunk it? This is this is exciting. Here we are. This is season two. Holy smokes. I don't know the, the which episode we're in. Um, seven. Season two, episode seven of Newsroom. And we're, this one's called Red Team 3, which is kind of an interesting title for an exciting episode. Well, Brian, this episode... Uh, I think reaches the apex, the culmination of the Genoa storyline, because we get both the final uh, awful moment when they air the story, and then, I don't know, mere seconds go by before they realize, uh-oh, we done goofed. So we're getting the story both from uh, the the lawyer side, where they're still uh, investigating uh, the Jerry Dantana wrongful termination suit, and we get the newsroom broadcast and the newsroom fallout of the uh the erroneous reporting of the u.s having used sarin gas uh i thought it was an action-packed episode like you i have some timeline confusion and it, it reared its <laughs> ugly head again or it's it's closer haircut uh, head again um but i'm gonna tell you brian i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hide it i really liked this episode i was ready to jump in and say the exact same thing like this might be one of my favorite ones this is definitely one of my favorite ones yeah yeah, and it was it was action packed, like you say. I took fewer notes than normal, which is probably a bad thing given like how many different little events that happened throughout this thing. But uh, I was I was captivated. Don't worry, I took a ton of notes. I too was captivated, and I was grateful to see the show acknowledge things that have been bothering us. I think on this podcast for a while. Mm-hmm. That's, I guess they're listening. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I thought it was well done. I thought like with another. 30 or 40 minutes this could have been a movie a standalone movie um because it gave you enough you didn't have to know some of the history that we saw um but we opened with don in that marcia gay harden interview room at, at you know it's clearly a conference room at the at news night um i'm unclear on when all like i said i'm unclear on when all these conversations are happening but don finally says what you and i have been saying that this case is clearly bananas right that <laughs> everything we think happened dantana Made stuff up. He faked the raw footage. The story unraveled. He got fired, and his he's suing, and his suing is ridiculous. And she's like, "Well, it is ridiculous, but it's also nuanced." He thinks he's being scapegoated. <laughs> I really appreciated Don being like, "Because it's all his fault. That's why he's being scapegoated." Um, I loved one of his line. He was like, "Oh, Rebecca, I'm going to eat this table." <laughs> yes, I did enjoy that. I'm unclear on what Dantana thought would happen. Um, like, obviously, when it airs. If Stephen Root watches it, he's going to see that he is quoted as saying a thing he didn't say. Yeah. So, like, did he think that Stephen Root wouldn't care? Did he think that Stephen Root just wouldn't say it, uh, even though he knew it to be true? And so I'll be fine. Like, it, this this had failure written all over it. Um, D- Dantana's plan, but uh, I don't know. Um, I I like I like you. I enjoyed the Don, and I can't remember Marjorie Gay Harden's character's name, but I enjoyed that dynamic. Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca. Well, of course, you just said it. Don and Rebecca. I like them. Um, and I liked the way the storytelling worked in this episode in the, it's not a courtroom, but in the, in the deposition room mm-hmm. or the, the lawyer interview room, because we keep cutting to different characters. They all get to tell different parts of the story, even though 
you didn't need it. It was just for our benefit, and I guess because you're already paying those actors for that episode. But I appreciated her. Uh, we, we get the indication early on that Jim's decision to send himself to, and they, they, this came up much earlier in the season. We didn't understand it at the time, but Jim's decision to send himself to cover the Romney campaign uh, set off what uh, uh, Rebecca warns could be seen as institutional failure. Him sending himself somewhere doesn't create the institutional failure but like it's one of the dominoes that falls and i i want to say like even in episode one of this season we get the first like handfuls of interviews where it was just like if so-and-so hadn't uh ruptured his achilles tendon and if maggie hadn't gone to rwanda like uh then none of this would have happened you know and we're like what are you even talking about none of this makes sense what's interesting to me in, in part of the storytelling is they're telling us a lot of things we already know it's like the whole first act of the episode is a recap um to make sure we have all the facts i didn't mind it which is kind of helpful <laughs> yeah um and then will find so and this is all happening in parallel with they're telling the story of red team three when they're finally presenting their whole findings like here's this this genoa sarin gas storyline uh and we're telling the final people who haven't heard it before including will mcavoy mm-hmm. uh to get his feedback and will is silent and listening and finally he weighs in with I heard the same story. Like, I assume mm-hmm. this is what you're working on because I heard the same thing. Now, Rebecca implies that it's quite possible that Will has the same source as Charlie that kicked this thing off in the first place. Or I guess Charlie, I guess Dantana got it kicked off in the first place, but that Charlie had as, basically it's implied that Charlie will have the same source. Yeah, his, they both had secret <laughs> yeah. sources. But yeah. it's not, yeah, it's yeah. not demonstrated if that's actually the case yet. One of them uses the phone and one doesn't. So I don't know. Maybe we'll find out next week. I don't know. But, um, I was I was surprised to hear Will say that he heard the same thing. Yeah, me too. And I really liked Sloane and Neil and then even Don saying that they take Jim's gut over 11 months of reporting. Yeah. Because they're asking everybody in the room, like, do you believe it? And Jim's like, I don't because of my gut. And they're like, Sloane and Neil and Don all say, yeah, they go with, uh, they go with Jim. And I like that. Dantana did not like that. And man, Dantana is, <laughs> I, I wrote in all caps, Dantana is such an asshole. Mm-hmm. and they're saying like you know this could cause rioting this could cause you know americans to get dead and uh jim says there could be riots here at home too and jerry says god jim just stay in your house <laughs> i wrote that or down too this is to jim or to don uh gosh I'll, all i have on here is jerry just says stay in your house he's re- he's replying to jim and don though so yeah, yeah. just stay in your house and I, I, the the way that they say okay after i think it's don who says okay um and so I, after all this buildup, it felt suddenly very rapid fire to me in that mm-hmm. Red Team 3. Because Will says, well, I trust these two. Um, not, and it's not like Emily doesn't trust – Emily Emily is the actress. It doesn't, it's not like Mackenzie doesn't trust Jim, too. But right. Will says, I trust these two, meaning Charlie and Mackenzie. And Charlie says, okay, we're going. And like, like that night, now we're going on the air. Like, do we want to not like they've had plenty of time. Like, do they want to take one more day? I don't know what would happen in that day, but it, it seemed like, okay, good, let's go. And then uh, they're off to the races. Right. I mean, there's, they got to preparing a news program like this, especially one as nuanced as this uh, probably requires a, a fair bit of prep work, but maybe they've been doing it along the way. And, you know, just like preparing the, the packages that they show on the screen and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Very surprising. And so then. Charlie is in his office. The report has aired. Charlie's in his office. He's got a drink in hand. And before he can even take a sip, Stephen Root's on the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Charlie puts that glass down. And it's interesting because he's like, uh, Mackenzie comes back in and they're like, we have it raw. 
Like we we know what he said. We've seen the raw footage, and at no point do they suspect. Oh, maybe the raw footage has been doctored, which mm-hmm. I appreciate it because we, the audience, like we know what happened. Like, come on, guys, get together. But like, yeah. they would never expect it. That to me speaks to the betrayal of Jerry's hand. Like, mm-hmm. I don't consider it an institutional failure to assume uh, a total lack of journalistic integrity from your producer. Like, I thought I thought that seemed real. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because. Uh, the way that Rebecca approaches it is just like we got to we're, we're poking holes in this and any hole that's pokeable is is a is an institutional failure. And in a organization organization like this, you have to have trust. And there's there's trust that just happens um, institutionally to just keep this place running. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of like um at one of my previous jobs, they really locked down our laptop so much that you couldn't install your own software, uh, and you couldn't um, uh, you couldn't like download things to a USB drive. And it 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 was like okay, well this is this is they're really locking us down, but you could still like you know open up a, a browser tab in Safari and type your your Gmail in and and send emails from that. And it's like well, yeah, I could just email anything on here. Of course, I don't. Because there's trust, you know, and right. it's like at some point you just have to trust people uh, because we're not just going to put our uh, ourselves. We're not just going to watch over Jerry Dantana's shoulder and everybody else editing footage uh, for every single thing. Like, that's just impossible. Well said. And this is the moment now in the show where Maggie shows up and she's got short hair again. And I, like I said, I, I'm not entirely clear on what's happening. But so I think that maybe uh, all the. This happened a long time ago now, the actual reporting of the incident. And then the lawyer interviews happened within a couple of months. And that's soon after Maggie came back. And so we've been going further and further in the present day storyline where Maggie's hair has grown Mm -hmm. out again and she's whatever. But uh, I thought it was a little confusing. I also, I object to this in a lot of TV shows. This was a particularly egregious episode. So if for some reason you listen to the podcast and then watch the episode in question, um, there are a lot of coffee cups held in this episode all of which are empty uh there's a lot of terrible (laughs) fake drinking um at one point uh will mcavoy himself does jeff daniels does some nice uh fake drinking but there are cups held with absolutely no weight in them paper cups and mugs and it is like it feels to me like the easiest thing but they don't get it right and it it kept taking me out it felt very like stagey yeah and uh so this is something you've brought up before, and I think there's like entire websites devoted to to fake coffee cup drinking, and I'm I'm all for it. I think it's a great use of the internet. Yeah, um, there's like two ways to battle this. There's putting actual liquid in the cups, which, understandably, there's probably some potential problems, especially with people walking around in office and stuff. Uh, you know, stuff gets spilled. It's a big cleanup mess. Uh, what's the other thing they do? They like put like tiny little bean bags in the bottoms of uh, coffee cups too, to at least give it some heft. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the beanbag budget, HBO should be able to afford this kind of stuff. For sure. Especially since they only had to do nine episodes this season. Um, I didn't understand, and I I continue to not understand whenever this comes up, not just on this show, why the ratings would be up so much for this nighttime broadcast that the audience didn't know what it was going to be ahead of time. Like, I'm pretty sure they Mm -hmm. were saying, oh, our ratings really spiked by millions last night. But how? Like, did no. they tease? We're shocking you with a story about sarin gas, but we've said too much. Like, mm-hmm. it, it didn't really make sense to me. Unless they're saying, like, the next night's 
run spiked, but it, I don't know, it didn't quite make sense. But I, I remind me, do you remember what day of the week that they broadcast it? It I wasn't like Friday night or something. I don't know. Uh, and if they also said, well, we're going to run it right now, then uh, they didn't have time to hype it. So I agree. They needed, they needed like a good full week to like, to have all the other, uh, you know, everybody from the morning to Elliot's show, all hyping that Will's about to do, to do a massive announcement. So there's part of this that I really like, right, where you can see that now Charlie and Will and Mackenzie are all feeling the weight. Because, you know, you got General Stomtanovich calling and saying, that's not what I said. And then you've got um, the Pentagon violently denying the report and citing the Espionage Act and, like, very explicitly saying they do this. So Charlie pulls the room. So I like that Charlie's nervous, that, that Je- uh, Will McAvoy's nervous. I like this. But then Charlie pulls through, uh, who still stands by the story? And I hated that scene. Mm. Because even the folks who were against the story are now saying they're standing by it. Like, we know Jim didn't buy into the story. They aired it, so now he's standing by the story? What's the point of asking if they support the story if what they're really doing is supporting their coworkers? He could have said, hey, do you still support us as your team? <laughs> yes. Right. But I'm, I'm even more concerned about the story than I was before. <laughs> like, it was just very weird. Like, yes, I still stand by it. Because none of them, like, many of them didn't stand by it in the first place. So I didn't like that. I get um, raising your concerns and then wholeheartedly supporting the the decision of the team like that that's a really tough thing to do but it's also like a really grown-up thing to do but um if if everybody's gonna do that then there's no point in pulling the room yeah exactly um the only thing that i felt had some weak plotting and maybe maybe i'm looking too closely is where it starts to actually unravel for them is oh our initial source had a traumatic brain injury that can cause memory loss and that felt a little too deus ex machina to me right um right. because they should have known <laughs> like they should have already known that this guy had a traumatic brain injury that should be on some military reports and but yeah so their initial source lied about how he got his second purple heart and didn't acknowledge that he had this brain injury that can cause memory loss um and so once we do know that that's the case the fact that dantana is still in full throat defending this story when he knows that he's also faked a thing is crazy to me like i really it is unclear to me what he how he expects to get out of this one and what he what his plan really is at some point um dantana starts to unravel as a human being too like it does feel like he's he becomes a little a little more childish than we've already seen him and a little bit more just like well damn it i don't care it's true and i know it you know and and it's like stomping his feet around the office and uh, so it it stops mattering that there's any evidence to uh to counteract him even when we'll get to it later when he gets confronted by uh mckenzie in the elevator like he still demand says that it's true i I, this is another time where the show treated, yelled at its characters in ways that I found really satisfying and did it in real time, which sometimes doesn't happen. So uh, uh, I can never remember the character's name. The other anchor who has the later show. Elliot. Elliot is interviewing that witness who acknowledges, oh, yeah, I had a traumatic brain injury. And Don is in his ear and he's like, cut him off, cut him off, cut him off, cut him off, which is absolutely the wrong thing. Like, don't let our one of our star witnesses talk about his traumatic brain injury. And Sloan yelled at Don, 
right away like right afterwards like that was what an embarrassing and horrible look for you to cut off a guy just because <laughs> he might invalidate your story and don don basically is like well it was real time and uh, you're right <laughs> like and i appreciated all that that all seemed real yeah then charlie triples down and i'm writing my notes like what the hell is wrong with charlie's like i still believe in this and listen we have it what do we have here we have this thing's going wrong and then will's like how much do you believe in this he's like well 60 percent of what i'm saying i believe <laughs> and i enjoyed that moment and will's like yeah, i believe i thought you were going for 80 percent, so you did pretty well but I don't even know why he'd believe it's 60% right now. He should be like, let's assume we had everything wrong and see if we can prove it mm-hmm. again. Like, that's what I wanted yeah. to say. I was not impressed with Charlie's mm-hmm. actions there. Yeah, at some point. I was impressed with Will calling it out. <laughs> you should, like, red team for it or something, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. instead of just go around the room and, and get everybody's thumbs up. Like, let's take a moment. Uh, we've done this three times already. Let's have one more where we really reanalyze and, like, bring someone else in or something. I don't know. Yeah. And then... We have maybe the most surprising turn, and only as the scene started did I suddenly remember, oh my God, I remember this moment. I remember what happens, because it is so shocking. It completely caught me by surprise again. We once again meet the character of Shep Pressman. Which we finally get to his name. Like, we we couldn't remember it, or we couldn't uh, dig it out last time, but what a great name. Yeah, Shep Pressman, played by Frank Wood, who is charlie source the guy who gave him the manifest i guess or whatever a piece of paper that helped charlie know this really happened and uh boy it is this is a more deus ex machina i think right this is more like well you could never have known that this was what was happening as an audience member of the show as a viewer yeah Uh, and so the source basically if i have it right the source had a son the son got a job thanks to charlie and shep's relationship at newsnight and then that, and I think that's maybe the kid we saw who got fired. I think we saw him oh, get man. fired. I forgot um, about him getting fired. Yeah. And he has to get fired because he's he's slipping up too much. And only now do we find out that he had at the time been 90 days clean from some drug rehab and that getting fired set him off on a path where he then died, killed himself. I don't know if he relapsed or what. Um, and... Charlie's hearing him and he didn't know any of this has happened. He's feeling for his friend Shep. Uh, but like Shep is saying, you shouldn't have allowed him to be fired. And Charlie says he deserved to be fired. Shep slaps Charlie in the face. And that's when Charlie starts to realize, oh, this is really bad. And <laughs> then Shep really goes off the deep end. I thought of having you killed. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is extreme. And then I was like, what is what is Charlie Skinner fear even more than death? So he faked the Hilo manifest and didn't just fake it. He had it with some invisible ink that when held over a light bulb, it spelled out, fuck you, Charlie. Uh, How'd you feel about that whole thing? I was shocked. Uh, I'll I'll back up and say, like, I never really was that convinced by the Hilo Manifest because it it just said that, like, something was on the... I can't remember what, you know, MK16 or something like that. Right. You know, it was it was just some collection of letters and numbers that like, oh, yeah, we use this when we're putting secret stuff on there. But it could have been anything. It could have been drugs. could have been gold bullion. You know, it could have. Pornography. But every time Charlie would say, and that's the Saren. You know, you're like, really? Okay. All right. You know, not, not that convinced. Like, this doesn't clinch it for me. It was just enough from Shep. Like, Shep knew what he was doing. He gave him just just enough to hang himself. Yeah. But holy smokes. Shep uh, went super evil, and the slap was like maybe the most shocking part of it at all. Uh, just people don't slap each other, you know. We get into this uh, a couple of times, but like this one, I didn't hate. <laughs> There's something so personal 
And it really does give you the idea of like, yeah, this guy's kind of evil. And he even said like, so I just waited and I waited and I waited until I, the perfect thing came along and Jerry started snooping around about this thing. And I was like, ah, this is going to be it. And so that's, that's diabolical, man. Uh, And so it's interesting. I don't even see it. Yes, it is absolutely evil, but, um, it showed me that that guy was broken. Oh, sure. Right? So not even evil, but, like, thoroughly damaged. And listen, I, I can't even, like, get myself in the headspace of, like, how would you handle it if you if you lost a kid? But, you know, his his upsetness felt not justified, but justifiable, right? Like, I could understand why he had gone off the deep end. But to me, that's what the slap showed. It wasn't even just evil, but, like, thoroughly broken and destroyed. Like, she's now his ex-wife. Yeah. Um. He'd been hiding all this info from him for forever. Um, he never called Charlie during the time and said, hey, I know that why you fired him, but he is 90 days clean. Can you find him another job? Can we give him a second chance? Can we do something? Like, he didn't do that. He just got mad and lost his son, which, again, is horrible, but, like, decided I'm going to screw Charlie and take down ACN with it, and I don't care who I hurt in the crossfire because my son is dead. There are some things that feel too cinematic about this uh, that, like, don't, that that are ungrounded from reality. Like you said, calling Charlie and saying, or Charlie calling Shep and saying like, Hey, you know, we, we got to let your kid go, you know, mm-hmm. because X, Y, and Z just warning you. Cause we're friends. Apparently we've had this relationship for a really long time. Like Lex, if my kid worked for you and things weren't working out, like you and I would be talking about it. You know, it, it, it's not like, I don't know. There's, there's some things that just feel that that uh oh what's the word do they beg your belief like <laughs> so the this starts to feel a little bit uh on the hollywood side uh but it kind of works as a turning point for the episode yeah i didn't i didn't hate it the only thing i didn't like about it was that we had no idea and i think that's the point right we mm-hmm. had no idea they had no idea but it's the whole time we feel like we the audience have been let in on it because we see jerry faking the raw footage we see what's going wrong here but now we get two, not one, but two total surprises. We had no way of knowing that that one soldier had a brain injury. We yeah. had no way of knowing that the second soldier was lying about everything just to back up the first. And we had no way of knowing that um, that there was this backstory with Charlie and the source. And it feels like either we're in or we're not in. It, I didn't like the feeling of both. It felt it, something that, that there felt like cheating. <laughs> I mm-hmm. But I still liked it. And man, that scene was so powerful. I watched that one twice and it's a hard scene. Um, and it, I don't know. Even the slap looked pretty real. Um, and so we, we eventually now cut back to the newsroom itself. And a couple things are happening. One, the Benghazi story is happening. Yeah. And two, Will is sharing an analogy that I feel like I feel like was probably even dated then. By which I mean, sometimes people go back to season one, episode one of The West Wing and think it's crazy that the character played by Lisa Edelstein, Lori... Uh, the call girl that Sam is sleeping with. Um, she doesn't know what POTUS is. Oh, yeah. And people say, well, back when that show aired, people, POTUS wasn't a commonly known acronym. It's more commonly known now. So it makes sense that you didn't know. But he's telling the story of the O-rings and the Challenger and their oh, temperature yeah. degradation. And that was not news to me. Like, that was that was a story I'm pretty familiar with. Like, that's why mm-hmm. the Challenger blew up. So it felt weird that he was telling it like, here's what you don't know about the Challenger and the O-rings. I honestly didn't even get what his analogy was supposed to be. But he's going through that. He does like a whole string of them too, right? There's that one. Yeah. There's the one about uh, the, the woman who wasn't Rosa Parks, you know, who wasn't as marketable as Rosa Parks. Oh, right, 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 and, right. Uh, even though she was 
predated Rosa Parks by six months or something. Yeah. Is, it, is a couple of them. And yep. I think there might even be one after the Challenger one too. And then we get we get a lot of telegraphing that's just for audience benefit, right? Because they're talking about uh, Mackenzie has questions about how sports work. And why are there two clocks? Oh, well, some sports have clocks. Like in some sports, you can take as long as you want. And he, there was a little now dated reference to baseball. In baseball, the pitchers <laughs> yeah, can get I a sandwich between pitches, but now they can't. Um, but we get, then there's also the new studio clock so that Will can get a countdown without somebody having to be his ear about it. And so we've got that clock and we've got hearing about sports. And suddenly, like we're seeing these, these ingredients start brewing in the cauldron of Mackenzie's brain. And it's, it felt mm-hmm. a little comically telegraphed for me, but whatever. Um, but then she does figure it out and we get the scene where the, the, again, hugely cinematic. And I've seen it in probably three different TV shows that I've been watching over the past month of people stopping elevators. (laughs) I would never (laughs) stop an elevator. Um, but Mackenzie's confronting Jerry. I know you did this. I know you faked the footage. You forgot about the basketball game in the background. And I even think the show cheats because she's like uh, the the shot clock jumped, but I'm pretty sure we can't see the shot clock in the. We never see it see happen. It. So yeah. it's a little bogus. Um, but then you're right. He's like, I would only do it on this story, um, which is crazy because it, I think they're trying to show he did it because he really believed it. Yeah, but he was clearly wrong to be believing it. So I don't know. I I enjoyed her firing him, especially because she's like, obviously you're fired. He's like, I know, and like, <laughs> we don't even see your file of paperwork. The only thing that beggared belief for me was that she confronted him first before she went to Will or Charlie. I yeah. did not think the sequence of events would be fire Jerry, then tell Will and Charlie. I thought it'd be tell Will and Charlie, and then all three of them, like they'd probably compete to see who could fire him first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she, she has a really them. powerful line in that scene with him, where she says, "No one," and she keeps getting cut off. No one. No one, and then I think she says no one is ever going to believe us again, and uh, you can feel how painful that is for her. Yeah, I agree. It would be more cathartic for Will and Charlie to get to yell at him in a, you know, in Charlie's office or something. Uh, so that does feel a little bit like a missed opportunity there. However, I feel like the elevator scene was really powerful, and so it was um, maybe maybe it, it also kind of connects what jerry did wasn't just bad for everybody but it was like deeply personally bad for her uh so there's something else there too yeah because she's she's the one who brought him in Mm -hmm. although it was jim's idea then uh jerry immediately says i'm not gonna say anything else i have a lawyer okay and so again this is all happening and i I appreciated this plotting it's all because we've discussed how the show has mostly real news stories but this reporting of a saren story was fake like as a fiction for the purpose of the show happening against the backdrop of Benghazi is interesting because they should be working on how are we going to report on Benghazi and instead she comes in and I appreciated that Mac was teary-eyed I appreciated that it was difficult for her again I thought the scene was a little bit cinematic versus reality based where she's like we have to reject Genoa tonight all of it and then no one says anything like people should be say why <laughs> like what what do you now know that you didn't know she'd say here's what happened jerry faked the footage and i now know um but she doesn't uh maybe that happens right after the the scene ends but it felt weird that they all just stay there silently and i like that she's teary-eyed because like you said it's their reputations and it's the news network's reputations and like they know how deep in it they're going to be and i it should affect them and i like that and then we get to, I don't know, another of the great scenes. This is what it is. There's no best scene in this episode because there's so many great ones. I know. Finally, Jane Fonda enters the the scene. Yeah. 
It's interesting because they're like th- there was a transition scene between those where Will and Charlie were talking to someone where they're like, yeah, and you know we're gonna resign, and she's coming or something, and you're like, she, she, like are they? They're not talking about Mac. Why would they be talking about Mac? And so it was there's a little bit of like a, a tease there that was uh, kind of exciting. Then they all go end up upstairs, and <laughs> Leona walks through talking about Daniel Craig. Oh my gosh, that was so good. I enjoyed the Daniel Craig rant. Or the Daniel Craig runner, maybe we'll call it. Um, it did feel a little indulgent. Like mm-hmm. it felt like, hey, I have to find ways to diffuse the tension. I have to make Jane Fonda more of a character. Also, just feed Jane Fonda as much as I can because she's going to chew up the scenery nonstop. <laughs> and she, Jane Fonda appears to me to be having the time of her life in this role <laughs> and in, in this scene in particular. And so it mm-hmm. felt a little, like I say, indulgent, extravagant for Sorkin to give her so much Daniel Craig material. But boy, she did it great. Yeah. But Charlie and Sloan and Will are all ready to resign. And she won't accept. And I really enjoyed the exchange where she says to Will, shut the fuck up, you Daniel Craig wannabe. And he's like, I don't want to be Daniel Craig. <laughs> and earlier she said that he looks a little bit like him, but only when he's sitting down, I guess. Like, it's all ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and she says, he says, I don't want to be Daniel Craig. And she says, well, you should want to be. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I'm not going to fire you guys and give uh, uh, give uh, Jerry a $5 million settlement. So, And she also starts calling Mackenzie Micmac. <laughs> Um, but she says, no, I'm not going to take the settlement. No, I'm not going to accept your resignations. And uh, which one of them? I think it's Charlie. Which one of them says we don't have the trust of the public anymore? Is it Charlie who says that? Oh, yeah. I think it's probably Charlie. And she like gets the Charlie last line of the episode where she yells at them, get it back. And that's it's get it back and then boom, episode ends. Like you don't even get time to – it was it was strong. It was powerful. And I appreciate like – the character makes no sense to me because before mm-hmm. she hated them all and now she loves them. I was like, going to ask it's about just, that. It's just a, not even a retcon. It's just a, a redo. Hey, we don't have this. We didn't have this one right. It's more interesting if. I'm like, okay, I'll go with it. Um, she keeps saying, I love this network. I love this show. I love you guys. And you're like, I don't remember you loving them that much. Yeah. I love that we do the news even though you don't make me any money, whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel bad for them because it's going to make them shy about other stories. They're going to be slow to break stuff. I think in the coming attractions, there's it's like election night. And I, I, I got the sense, and maybe this is also just how the teaser is edited, but I got the sense like they're going to be slow to call states lest they get something wrong. Because obviously there was the, the Bush v. Gore election where we called states too soon, maybe, whatever. Um, I don't remember how that one ended. I don't remember who won. But the <laughs> like I feel for them because I really do feel like they tried to do the right thing. It's easy for us with the information we had to be like, no, guys, he's faking it. Like, stop. But Mm -hmm. if they're trusting that guy, the only thing where I feel like they misstepped was not finding out about the brain injury. Everything else feels to me like they they did the best they could with the information they had. Yeah. I mean, that that was find outable. I remember when they were um, in in season one, they had the source uh, uh, late for dinner, that guy. Uh, and at some point they found out a little bit about his personal life and they're like, oh, we can't use you as a source now. And it's like, so they, they did a modest amount of digging and uh, uncovered that. So with this one, it could have dug more, you know, they could have, they could have, they could have found something out. Uh, Cause one interview la- later, uh, it, it did start falling apart for them. It did remind me a little bit of like when the moment you, um, you can proofread your, your work all you want, but then you, the moment you hit publish on that blog post you're like oh geez there's like 10 typos in yeah. here so great comparison it could be a little bit of that once it gets out there uh, all the obvious stuff just kind of percolates out i am 
I'm really curious to see where the show goes from here because I think we both agree this was a great episode. And part of what I thought made it a great episode was none of our core favorites are the villains. And mm-hmm. to me, like part of what it's exciting about Sports Night or The West Wing is everybody there is on a team and then the enemies come from outside. And Dantana yeah. was like the outsider. When Will was the antagonist or when Leona's the antagonist, it's like, no, we're, they're all on one team. So this time they're all on the same team and fighting a thing and there's tension and but it's 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 drama going out instead of like i don't know i liked it so i'm hoping they can keep on to that but they're not going to keep having horrible reporting errors we hope uh so i don't know i'm i'm very curious to see where things go and i think this was episode seven right so i guess there's two more episodes this season yeah yeah we wrap up with a two-parter for election night and then oh, we're thank off goodness to season it's three. A um yeah and then season three is also nine episodes no it's only six it's only six episodes so we're we're really we're getting there wow brian when does this episode drop well it'll drop uh probably uh, i want to say like right the first of january it's too late for us to warn people that we're taking the prior week off got it got it okay true true um but no i'm so i'm i would say for the first time in a while I don't regret doing this podcast. <laughs> I've never once regretted doing this podcast. For the first time in a while, I don't regret the focus of the show, uh, of, of the focus being the newsroom, because this was this was great TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like our investment paid off. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. there were some rough moments with Genoa. Uh, I feel like I was really getting sick of it you know a couple episodes ago, yeah. and then the last episode and this one kind of helped. Uh, bring a good resolution to it and then i don't have to dread more uh dantana in my life i'll also say it doesn't forgive the slow plotting of it like i think they that aaron sorkin was too plotting with the plotting <laughs> there was d's and then t's but too too plotting with that plotting uh early on because it did get boring and it shouldn't have been so boring um but i'm i if we can harness this momentum and keep it going that'll be great yeah I'm excited. And who knows? Maybe we might revert back a little bit to, to people acting like idiots a little bit. But um, I don't know. I think they've earned some trust. I think we're in, we're in good shape. I agree. Uh, I'm curious to find out if we uh, – how much – obviously, general the, 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 the impact will continue to resonate at least for the rest of the season when they're shy about reporting stuff or whatever. But I'm curious, like, have we seen the last of uh, Marsha Gay Harden's Rebecca or not? Because I like mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. I like her she, a lot. She's only ever had one – Set. She's only ever sat in one room, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> as far as we know, her character might not have legs. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this was good. I'm excited to watch the next one. Yeah, me too. Uh, anything we, we we need to be doing in the meantime, Lex? There's three things. Number one, rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Probably Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen to another app, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review it because that's where it matters Thank the you. most. Yes. Number two, go to the incomparable.com/slash/members. Throw some scratch. Uh, the incomparables way and then you can choose to uh, give some of it to us specifically they'll show you how uh you get bonus episodes and bootlegs and all kinds of stuff you can even get ad-free episodes of the flagship the incomparable podcast and then number three of course and brian sometimes we build it up but i'm so excited for people to get to do this that i don't even want to build it up i just want to say it do it do it do it number three you got to keep working on it yeah i needed that release that time <laughs>